Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it is Monday, January 15th, 2024, bitter cold day in Chicago. Uh, before I bring on my distinguished guest who's waiting uh, to discuss this issue that I'm really eager to discuss, let me just do as I always do on these shows and talk about a headline from today's paper to give you a sense of what's going on in the world. Uh, and here's the headline from the business section of today's New York Times. Quote, new Mean Girls musical is triumph at box office. New Mean Girls musical is triumph at box office. Number one movie in America, ladies and gentlemen, is the latest rendition of Mean Girls, which started as a movie written by Tina Fey, was turned into a Broadway play, and now they've made a movie out of the Broadway play, and it's number one. And you know what? It's kind of relevant to the topic I'm about to have with my distinguished guest. Follow me in this, ladies and gentlemen. The central premise of the movie Mean Girls is that there's a cluster of mean girls in a high school cafeteria or in a high school. And they took place at Evanston High School in the movie, which I always thought, hey, come on, man. That's where I went to high school. Why, are we gonna, why don't you set it at New Trier or something like that? Anyway, so it takes place at uh, Evanston High School. Uh, and there's a group of girls who, like, run the school, even though they're mean. And everybody tries to, like, butter up to them. They want to be cool with the cool mean girls. Just shows you how twisted the, the psychology of teenagers is. Now, I've always said in many instances that uh, teenage high school years are just like a metaphor or a parable for the world that exists outside high schools. Really true in Chicago politics, which we're not going to discuss with my distinguished guests, but it's really true in Chicago politics. The city council is like a giant high school cafeteria. And everybody has like their little cliques and factions. It's also true in the world of sports. And that brings me to the topic of today's conversation. What was it, Friday night? I think it was Friday night. I've lost track of time. A couple days ago. Forget what day it was, all right? Maybe it was Saturday. I can't remember. Um, the Bulls held a ceremony to honor 
among other things, the 95-96 World Champion Bulls who won 72 games, which had been the most games won in a singular season. And the fans, in their infinite idiocy, booed. Boo Jerry Krause. Now, Jerry Krause, who was the general manager, put that team together. He was not there for the booing. His wife was there on his behalf. Jerry Krause died a few years ago. But his image, his picture was put on the big screen at the United Center, to which the crowd booed. And why did the crowd boo? Because Jerry Krause is, has been vilified by Michael Jeffrey Jordan. And Michael Jeffrey Jordan is the equivalent of the mean girls. In Chicago, he is beloved. He is the coolest kid in the cafeteria. And all those meatballs at the United Center who booed Jerry Krause in their infinite idiocy were booing him because somehow or other they thought that's what Mike would want. And if I boo Jerry Krause, Michael will be my friend. And Michael will let me sit with him in his vaunted seat, at his vaunted table, in the cafeteria. It's the mean girl's mentality, ladies and gentlemen. And let me tell you something. It's not just meatball fans in the stadium. Oh, no. I'm much older than my distinguished guest. I know about the Chicago media. I know about the sports writers in Chicago. I was around in the 80s when they were vilifying Jerry Krause. Why? Because Michael Jordan didn't like him. And all those reporters, all those beat reporters, they were like, oh, Michael, I'll bash Jerry Krause in my article. Please, please, please say hi to me. Call me up. Let me write your biography. They're all a bunch of mean girls. <laughs> all right, enough on that. Without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself, and then we're going to take it away on a conversation about the Chicago Bulls. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm a writer and editor for SB Nation. And I'm very impressed with the world's first ever Jerry Krause, Lindsay Lohan comparison. That was well done, Ben. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I give you credit for knowing who Lindsay Lohan is. I give you credit for knowing. And there was no prep. I did not tell Ricky O'Donnell I was going to do the Mean Girls thing. He knew Lindsay Lohan was in the first rendition of Mean Girls. All right, Ricky. Um, I'm a little bit in awe of you right now as I sit here, even though you're a youngster compared to me. Uh, and you were born. Uh, after Jerry Krause became general manager of the Bulls, and you were born after Michael Jeffrey Jordan uh, turned on Jerry Krause. We'll get into all that. Uh, yet she still uh, wrote, in my humble opinion, what has been the most insightful analysis of went went down uh, on, uh, was it Saturday or Friday, Ricky? I'm all mixed up. I've lost track of time. I think it was Saturday, right? Correct? Am I correct in that? Uh, it was Friday. Oh, it was Friday. <laughs> You're right. The, the, the back-to-back was Saturday with San Antonio. I see. Correct. Okay. Uh, you wrote, quote, Bulls, friend, Bulls fans are stupid and vile for booing Krause. End of quote. <laughs> I love that line. Um, so I, I urge everybody to check out uh, Ricky's uh, coverage of what went down on Friday at the uh, ceremony. All right. So I, I read, based on your uh, column that you wrote, I have a number of questions I think that'll lead people through an understanding of what went, went down. Okay, uh, so we'll do it in point by point based on uh, the things that popped into my head when I read your column. Uh, and uh, so it was the Ring of Honors uh, celebration. So here's my question. What is the Ring of Honors and why all of a sudden did the Bulls 
create it and celebrate it. Go. Sure. So I'd say sports teams do a ring of honor is sort of like a organizational hall of fame kind of thing. And why did the Bulls decide to do it this season? Well, it's because the Bulls are once again, not very good. And they were especially not very good when they announced this ring of honor night, this ring of honor promotion, which was tied to the Golden State Warriors and head coach Steve Kerr coming to the United Center. So with Kerr coming to the United Center, of course, a key piece on the second three-peat team, the Bulls decided to get the old gang back together and honor some franchise legends, you know, from the very start of the franchise, I believe Dick Klein was the first owner of the Bulls. Uh, He went in there. Artist Gilmore was uh, there on the United Center floor waving to the fans and Uh, It went up to and including the dynasty years in the 90s. So the cynic in me says the Bulls decided to lean into nostalgia because they're having another very mediocre season. The attendance at the United Center has been down a bit. The United Center is one of the bigger stadiums in the NBA. So if you look at just the raw attendance numbers, it looks like the fans are still packing the stadium. But in terms of like the percentage filled, I think the Bulls are in the 20s this year in terms of attendance. That's much lower than where they typically are. And the stands were certainly packed for this Warriors game because, you know, Steph Curry got to go see him on the uh, sort of the last legs of his prime, I would say. And uh, they were able to get some excitement going with this Ring of Honor night, whether fans did or did not know that MJ, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman would not be in attendance. None of them were there. Uh, But, you know, the the gesture, I think, was still sort of a nice gesture to honor some franchise legends, maybe educate some younger fans who might not know who Artis Gilmore is, who might not know who Bob Love is. They see his number 10 retired at the United Center, of course. Uh, so I think, you know, their heart may have been in the right place, but the cynic in me still says they sort of hastily planned this event because the team kind of stinks and the attendance is down a bit from where it usually is. All right, let me push back a little bit with you right this one. Uh, you're absolutely correct when you say other teams have ring of honors. Uh, so, And you're also absolutely correct when you say the Bulls are mediocre now, although at the moment they're under the 500 mark. 500 is mediocre. So I could say they're less than mediocre. Sure. Uh, but uh, that's uh, – I'm haggling there. Uh, and uh, why then and – and they have been uh, at best mediocre – or maybe a little above mediocre when uh, Derrick Rose was healthy, uh, ever since Michael Jeffrey Jordan retired or left, or they broke up that team. So why now? Why not do a ring of honor ceremony? I mean, they, <laughs> why not do a ring of honor ceremony in, in uh, 2003 or 2004? Why? And furthermore, I'll throw this at you. Why are we going to do a ring of honor ceremony uh, ce- celebrating the greats of the Bulls going back to 1966 when the Bulls were created. Why would you lump the 95, 96 team in? Like, that just kind of overwhelms the older guys. So you mentioned uh, you mentioned Bob Butterbean Love. They also honored Chet the Jet Walker. They should have honored uh, Norm Van Leer. What a disgrace, uh, by the way, that his number has not retired, been retired. Any old Bulls fan will tell you that. If you're going to have Sloan up there, you got to have uh, Norm Van Leer. So why would they clump the 95-96 team with guys who played – Mostly in the 70s uh, and in the case of Artis Gomer, even into the early 80s. I totally agree with you. I think that, you know, the dynasty era members just overshadow everything else. And me, you talked about how young I am. I was born in 87. So I do feel like I'm uh, I'm not that young anymore. But I'll say like 
I didn't know much about the 75 Bulls, to be honest. And the 75 Bulls, I believe, went to the conference finals. Uh, that was a team with Jerry Sloan, Bob Love, Chet Walker, uh, Tom Borwinkle, I believe, was the big man on that team. Gilmore might have been in there. But, you know, that was before my time. So who was the center on that team? Okay, the center on that team for 10 trivia points. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, no phone. No phone. Clifford the Mule Ray. Look it up. They had uh, – they. I, they, no, no, no. I sit corrected. They traded Clifford the Mule Ray to uh, San Francisco, and they got Nate Thurman back at the end of his career. And I think Tom Borwick was injured that year. He was on the 75 team, the Mother's Day team. Yeah, Thurman was on one of those teams. Um, anyway, neither yeah. here nor there. Yes, he was there at the very end of his career. Uh, so your point is, is that there was a tremendous amount of history that took place with Chicago Bulls before the 95-96 champions, which – you're right. They're gigantic in this town, right up there with the 85 Bears uh, in terms of their legacy. So you kind of dwarf, you know, or they overwhelm all the other guys. It just doesn't make sense from my perspective. So I thought that it was sort of a poorly executed event in general. And then, you know, when they did mention the 96 team, they didn't even announce their names individually. For example, my entire Twitter feed was filled with Luke Longley content for the couple days before. Luke Longley got the long hair, still sort of looks like a surfer bro, living his best life at seven foot two in Australia. Everyone was so happy to see Luke Longley is still out here thriving. There's Luke Longley at center court, and they did not say the name Luke Longley. Instead, what they said is, and the 1995-1996 NBA champion Chicago Bulls. It's like, guys, you brought Ron Harper in for this. He's got other places to be. You brought Luke Longley in from Australia. What's that, a 22-hour flight or something? And to not even say their names individually, I thought was one of many missteps in this hastily planned event. Wait, Tabo, were you the guy who tweeted out uh, the Wilco? analogy to Luke Longley. Did you do that? Like you said, was that you who said Luke Longley? No, looks but like I, I love it. He does look like Jeff Tweedy a little yeah. bit. <laughs> Looking very Wilco. I didn't think of that myself, but that's good. Somebody tweeted it out, sent it to me. I'm not on Twitter, uh, Ricky, not a little con but people are constantly sending me uh, Twitter uh, tweets. All right. So uh, it the whole idea is, is kind of sketchy to begin with. Uh, doing it now, uh, is uh, at the top of the list and then just overwhelming all the other guys with the 95, 96 Bulls. And then, of course, not putting Norm Van Leer in the league, uh, in the ring of honor uh, is an absolute uh, disgrace. Uh, and now we get uh, to Michael Jeffrey Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rod Rodman as no shows. So I don't know if you have any original uh, reporting on this, but why even have the ceremony? If you've gotten report that Michael Jeffrey Jordan is not going to be there, if Jordan is not going to be there, Ricky, that overwhelms everything. Because as you know, because you actually lived through this, he is the king. He, he's the number one guy, I think, even more than Peyton, even more than Walter Peyton. He's the most revered athlete in the history of Chicago sports. And if he's not going to show up, it sort of undercuts absolutely everything they'll follow. So why continue the thing if Jordan's not going to be there? Why, in your humble opinion, did Michael Jordan not show up? Well, Michael Jordan's just got better stuff to do than to associate himself with the Bulls. And I think with the way this ceremony ended, as we'll get into, MJ is one of the big winners, right? Like, he didn't have to be in the building while this horrible, disgraceful 
scene played out at the United Center. So MJ, he just keeps winning even when he no-shows. I do think in a lot of ways, uh, you know, the writer John Greenberg for The Athletic wrote that The Last Dance was sort of MJ's goodbye from public life. And we really haven't heard much from MJ since that documentary aired in 2020. And at this point, like, I don't really expect to see Jordan at the United Center, uh, you know, being used by the organization as a way to sell tickets, bring more fans to the stadium. MJ is so far beyond that because while he is a Bulls icon, more than that, he's like a planet Earth icon. That guy, you said he's the most, you know, the biggest athlete in the history of Chicago sports. There's a strong case to be made that he's the biggest athlete in the history of the world, basically. So uh, I think Jordan is probably not going to be someone who wants to continue to strongly associate them, himself with the Bulls. He did make a little video that they played. That was nice. That was cool. But uh, I don't really see a scenario where Jordan's going to be back there. And they said, oh, you know, Jordan had a philanthropic uh, obligation and he just couldn't make it because they planned this event six weeks before they actually did it. But no matter when they planned it, I think it would have been very difficult to get a commitment from Mike uh, because he's just sort of beyond it. Wow, that's interesting. He's beyond the Bulls. It all began for him with the Bulls, and now he's beyond the Bulls. By the way, I'll push back briefly. Uh, I would say Jordan's number two to Muhammad Ali, but that's a Muhammad conversation Ali, sure. uh, we'll have another time. All right, now why didn't Scottie Pippen show up? Scottie Pippen is estranged from the Bulls right now. He was a Chicago Bulls ambassador, similar to what the Blackhawks were doing with, I think, Stan Mikita, Bobby Hall, some of their... Uh, you know, former great players where the Bulls just kind of had Scottie Pippen on the payroll to be a fan of the Bulls, to talk about the Bulls in the media. Well, Scottie Pippen during the Bulls low point before they fired John Paxson and Gar Foreman as their GM tandem, uh, basically went on ESPN and said, I don't know who any of these Bulls players are. They're not any good. This team stinks. And since then, he's sort of fallen out of the good graces of the Reinsdorf family who still controls the Bulls. And of course, when The Last Dance was aired, Scottie Pippen was full of anger and malcontent about how he was portrayed in that, which was essentially a story told through the lens of Michael's greatness. Uh, and ever since, Scottie and Mike have had quite a bit of beef with each other. And I think there was no scenario in which both of those guys were ever going to be in the building, even as the Bulls honored their 1996 championship team. All right. So once again, let's just think this through, ladies and gentlemen, before we get to the next question. Uh, it was an ill-conceived idea. Uh, it was hastily done. And I think we'll all agree uh, that it was foolish to combine the 95-96 team with the rest of the Bulls because it overwhelmed the other Bulls, uh, made them secondary. And so if you're going to honor the 95-96 team, you got to honor the 95-96 team as alone, as its own entity, because it is arguably the greatest team in the history of Chicago sports, right? neck and neck with the uh, 85-86 Bears. Uh, so, all right, we're set setting ourselves up for a horrific <laughs> uh, dishonor. Uh, now, I'm going to throw this theory at you and uh, get your response. It's purely speculative, and I know your response will be purely speculative because I presume you're like me. Neither one of us has uh, talked to Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Well, I've never talked to Michael. I've never had a conversation with the guy, uh, so I have no idea what's going on in his head. I do know this. Michael Jeffrey Jordan, I say this, is the king of holding grudges. The man can hold a grudge like no one. I used to think my mother was the number one grudge holder, but mom, 
I'm sorry. I think Michael Jeffrey Jordan has eclipsed you. Uh, he is the goat of holding grudges. Uh, and in 1991, as you know, because this is legend stuff, uh, when they were assembling uh, the, um, the dream team to play in the 92 Olympics, uh, the uh, Chuck Daly and the rest of the people who were putting that dream team together asked Jordan to, to join it. And he uh, said, I will not be on this team if you extend an invitation to Isaiah Thomas. Uh, and guess what? They did not extend an invitation to Isaiah Thomas. Chuck Daly, Ricky, had to tell his star guard, you're not invited to this huge party. I don't think Isaiah's ever gotten over it. All right? Uh, so these are all uh, prima donnas, ladies and gentlemen, and they hold Isaiah holds a grudge too for a long time. Uh, so this is my theory. In light of the Isaiah Thomas uh, incident at with the Dream Team, my theory is that Michael Jeffrey Jordan told the Bulls, "There's no way I'm going if Scottie Pippen is invited. If you invite Pippen, I'm not going." Uh, and then what are the Bulls supposed to say? We can't not invite Scottie Pippen. You get what I'm, I mean? He was he was on the team too. That is my theory. Your thoughts on my theory. Yeah, I like it. I think you're dead on with MJ being the king of the grudge. I think that, uh, you know, given how quickly this was planned and really just like given where Jordan's at in his life right now, I don't think he was ever going to show up. And of course, his, uh, you know, beef with Pippen plays into it. So I like where your head's at. I think that uh, even if they would have told Jordan, hey, Scotty's not going to be there. I don't know. I don't know if Jordan would have showed up. But I do think that uh, the fact that they don't like each other very much right now was the reason that neither of them ever seriously considered showing up. So Pippen wasn't there. Jordan wasn't there. Rodman tried to get there. But, of course, the Bulls planned this in the middle of January. And there was a big winter snowstorm. So Rodman could not travel to Chicago. I don't know, Ricky. Come on, man. Somehow Luke Longley got here from Australia, okay? Sure. In the middle of the same. I love that Dennis Robin thing. It was like classic Dennis Robin. It's like he tried to catch a plane at the literally at the last minute, okay? I get, that's kind of how I saw And then he was like, I think he was genuinely remorseful about missing it. I think he wanted to be there. Uh, and uh, uh, all right, before we move on, your general thoughts on the Jordan Pippen feud. Do you have a, somebody you're more sympathetic uh, to in that feud? Yeah, I guess it would sort of come back to my thoughts in general on The Last Dance, which I thought was sort of a nice overview of the trials and tribulations of the Dynasty era 90s Bulls, but went far from telling the full story. If fans out there and anyone who's listening to this podcast has probably already read it, but if you want, you know, a full look, a truthful look at the start of the dynasty, you could read the Jordan rules by Sam Smith, which was of course a revelation when it was released. Uh, what year was that released? Probably 92, 93. I want to say it came out the Bulls the won the championship in 91. Uh, and so I want to say it came out in the 91, 92 season, but don't quote me. Uh -oh, yeah, and then there's a few other terrifying me with a look on the internet. Uh, I think 92, right? Am I correct? Yeah, I actually didn't look that up. I was I had another book on the tip of my tongue uh, that I'd read a while ago called Playing for Keeps. Uh, that that was on the tip of my tongue by uh, David Halberstam. I'm sure I'm no, David Halberstam. Wrong, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, he was all time great sports author. Also wrote Breaks of the Game on the 70s Portland Trail Blazers. But that's another incredible look at the Bulls. So I think that those were more like truthful looks at the Dynasty era Bulls, whereas. The last dance sort of had to be done with Jordan's blessing because they had so much exclusive footage, 
you know, with Jordan, one-on-one interviews, stuff no one had ever seen before. So it was uh, very much told through MJ's lens. And by doing that, it disenfranchised many people up to and including and especially Scottie Pippen. So in terms of like whose side of the feud I'm on, like I thought the last dance, like to me, I thought it was like kind of mediocre. I thought it was all right, but I didn't think that it was as good as it could have been uh, if they would have tried to take a more truthful look at it. Uh, Scotty, you know, I, I get why he feels like he didn't totally get a fair shake in that series. So I don't know. Scotty's always, uh, he's someone who likes to hold a grudge too. I think Scotty's typically always got something he's upset about. So it's just sort of an unfortunate situation. And, you know, it happens to lots of guys who were close many, many years ago. You grow far further apart as uh, time passes. No, I, I'm with you about Scotty and grudges. I'd have to say if I'm putting a, a starting five of grudge holders out there, definitely Jordan, uh, Pippen, and my mother. Okay, that right there. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mom. Uh, my mom never played basketball a day in her life. Uh, but could she hold a grudge? She could teach Scotty a thing or two about holding grudges. Uh, all right, let's get to Jerry Krause. Uh, Jerry Krause was general manager of the Chicago Bulls, doing this off the top of my head, from roughly uh, 1985 to 2002 or three, somewhere there. Uh, he was uh, either convinced to quit or pushed out the door. I'm not quite sure which one it was uh, during the rebuild uh, years, post-Jordan uh, years, after Jordan, uh, Jordan team uh, fell apart. Um, I have many feelings in this. I'd love to get your thoughts on Jerry Krause's legacy as general manager of the Chicago Bulls. Very complicated. And of course, I wrote what was mostly a glowing review of Jerry Krause as a general manager for the Bulls. And I do think that without Jerry Krause, the Bulls don't have six championships. The man drafted Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant in the same year, both in the top 10. Bulls acquiring Scottie Pippen for Olden Polonese is the best trade in Chicago sports history. I guess unless Caleb Williams turns into an all-time great QB for the Bears, and then maybe we can talk about that 20 years from now. But uh, Pippen, you know, just in, an incredible move. He saw Scottie Pippen as a future Hall of Famer, and not a lot of people thought that. Coming out of Central Arkansas, he was the fifth pick in the draft, but he was a very raw prospect. Uh, you know, at the time, was far from a sure thing. And if you look at the arc of Pippen's career, he was not someone who really hit the ground running as a superstar. It was sort of a slow, patient burn with Pippen, who had to get over plenty of trials and tribulations himself to eventually become one of the greatest small forwards in NBA history. Uh, so Krauss, when you ask about Krauss's legacy, the first thing that comes to mind for me is this dude drafted Scottie Pippen. He traded for Scottie Pippen the night of the draft. He built a three-peat team around Jordan. All those guys left, besides for Pippen, and he built another three-peat team around Jordan, which is pretty phenomenal and is something I don't think you can truly take for granted just because you had MJ on the team and you had Phil Jackson as the coach. With that being said, Chicago made up its, time, made up its mind a long time ago that it does not like Jerry Krause. And as you alluded to at the top of the show, it's partially because Michael Jordan does not like Jerry Krause. But there's some other reasons, too. Jerry Krause, eh, kind of a weird guy. He was someone who had a pretty big ego himself, and he was not a 6'6", world-class athlete like Michael Jordan. He was short, squatty. It was kind of a weird dude, by all accounts, Jerry Krause. Jerry Krause uh, also 
no one has ever been more excited to break up a dynasty than Jerry Krause was, in part because he had such a big ego, I think, that he believed he could do it again. And he believed that, uh, you know, as the famous quote says, organizations win championships, not players that came out of Jerry Krause's mouth. And he thought that, you know, the dynasty years had run their course, which, you know, he may be correct. We could get into that in a little bit. And that, you know, it was time for the Bulls to sort of transition out of the dynasty years. And if you look at the team the Bulls played the night of the Ring of Honor, it was the Golden State Warriors, a team that is right now below 500 with Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. And it sort of is was a sort of a fitting view at what it could have been looking like if the Bulls would have kept that group together until they had sort of broken down and were no longer the best team in the world. So I thought that that was kind of interesting. But Krause, you know, you sort of have to go back to his infatuation with Iowa State coach Tim Floyd as sort of one of the big reasons the relationship between, uh, you know, the fan base, let's say, or MJ and Krause sort of started to splinter. Famously, Jerry Krause invited everyone in the organization to his stepdaughter's wedding, I believe, uh, in the mid-90s, but did not invite Phil Jackson, despite the fact that their wives were close friends and often photographed together. But he did invite the young Iowa State coach, Tim Floyd, who he would go on fishing trips with and become very close to. Tim Floyd was then named the president of the Bulls following the 1998 championship. Everyone knew, though, that Tim Floyd was really going to be the head coach of the Bulls. Once the Bulls put out their final feelers for Phil Jackson, tried to get him to come back. It was during a lockout-shortened year. MJ had cut his finger on a cigar cutter on the golf course. There was a lot going on. But the one thing that was for sure true is that Jerry Krause loved Tim Floyd, and Jerry Krause fully believed in his heart of hearts Tim Floyd was the next great NBA coach. And uh, I think sort of his infatuation with Floyd and uh, his eagerness to sort of end the dynasty years and to try to build a great young team from scratch uh, was part of the reason why Jordan thought and Chicago thought, man, screw this weird, short, little dude. Uh, and with that came a general overlooking of the stronger points of Krause's resume, which is that he was an incredible evaluator of talent. Hmm. Uh, I agree with about 90% of what you said, and I'll push back a little bit, but, uh, mostly I agree with what you said. Um, I cannot read right history, folks. So I got to start with this. Uh, Ricky, I was one of those Bulls fans who in 1998 was screaming, don't break up this team. And I was mad at Reinsdorf, the owner of the Bulls. I was, how could you side with Krause over Jordan? Because Michael Jeffrey Jordan said, uh, he declared, I will only play for Phil Jackson as a coach. And then Jerry Krause announced, this is, Phil Jackson is leaving no matter what. It's in the last dance. So you can see here's the literal quotes. Um, and I'm like, and I always thought that at that point, Jerry Reinsdorf should have stepped in and said, we're taking whatever Michael wants, Michael gets. Everything I got with this team is because of Michael Jeffrey Jordan. So Jerry Krause, just make it work. Or if you don't want to make it work, get a new job. And Jerry Reinsdorf never did that. So I ever, whatever dysfunction was going on at the end, I believe had to have been going on with the consent of Jerry Reinsdorf. He was the owner. He's the boss. Krauss works for Reinsdorf, not the other way around. And yet the fans boo Krauss. They don't boo Reinsdorf. 
Jordan. Well, they Bruce did announce Crowley. Reinsdorf's name. Yeah, they did or did not. But they did not. Okay. <laughs> uh, but you nailed it. Of course, I wrote in my column that Reinsdorf used Kraus as his meat shield, and that's the best term I could come up with for the way Jerry Reinsdorf skirted responsibility over these decisions that he ultimately controlled while hiding behind Kraus. Uh, so I think you totally nailed it. And my big takeaway from watching The Last Dance is that everything people blame on Jerry Krause was really Jerry Reinsdorf's fault. And of course, I've hated Reinsdorf my whole life as a Chicago, diehard Chicago sports fan, White Sox fan, unfortunately, Bulls fan, less unfortunately, but still unfortunately. And, uh, you know, Reinsdorf has been a pox on this city and will continue to be as long as he's still alive. The, the views and opinion of Ricky O'Donnell do not necessarily reflect those of the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, I mean, he's not that bad, but anyway, let's hold off. Let's hold off on that one. Uh, I, uh, I, I do agree that uh, the breakup of the Bulls was his doing. He, he wanted it. He did, at the very least, he didn't care if it happened. Uh, now, I will point something out, and I owe Moise Bawani, uh, shout out to you, sent me this. Um, there was a, uh, a ceremony honoring Jerry Krause in 2003, Ricky, which I had completely forgotten. And Jerry Krause was very much alive. And now he had recently been pushed out by the Bulls uh, because the Bulls were just tired of the rebuild. They needed a break. They brought in Johnny Paxson uh, to replace him. But they honored him. And they had what well, the same thing, a halftime ceremony. Uh, and they raised a banner at the United Center with his name on it. Uh, and he was allowed, he gave a speech on the court. His wife was there. Uh, and um, I'm not making this up, Ricky. Scotty Pippen was there. Uh, I think Scotty may have been on the Bulls team. Bill Cartwright was the coach of that particular Bulls team. Uh, and uh, all the Bulls on, the, on that team, it's kind of a touching moment. These are the, the young kids that uh, Krause had drafted, Tyson Chandler, Jamal Crawford. You know, they came to the center court. I think uh, Jay Williams was on that team. And they hugged Kraus. They hu I'll send you this, Ricky. You got to see this to believe it. They hugged Kraus. And uh, Kraus gave a speech, classic Jerry Kraus speech. I'm just a kid from Chicago. This is my dream job. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry Reinsdorf. It was a classic Kraus speech. And there was, I'm not saying cheering, but polite applause. Certainly no one booed. Okay. So something happened. That's why I, I say it's Jordan. And the last dance, because Michael Jeffrey Jordan wasn't there in 2003. He didn't show up. You know, the Bulls had enough sense not to bring him there, not to even go there. But by 2023, 20 years later, or 20, 2024, they were booing Jerry Krause. And I'm with you. I think it's uh, that the last dance poisoned Chicago fans on Jerry Krause in a way they weren't back in 2003 your thoughts yeah that's interesting so i was going to say that i believed chicago booed kraus at every opportunity including the grant park championship parades i was young when those were happening i actually looked tried to find some of that on youtube but was struggling to find like the exact moments where kraus was announced at those so my memory as a 10 year old was that kraus got booed at those grant park parades yes he did uh, he did i said I'm, you you're yeah. absolutely correct and he was, I, the first story I ever wrote about Jerry Krause, oh my God, I'm old. I think it was 1990, uh, Ricky. And it, the headline, it was, nobody cheers Jerry Krause. 
And uh, <laughs> and they booed him. Like when they they, they announced that it was his 50th birthday, uh, and they announced that the Chicago it was the Chicago Stadium in those days. They booed him. So your your basic point: the, the fans have always had a dislike for Jerry Krause. Uh, but I'm just I noted the difference between 2003 when they were sort of they they let it go for that ceremony, and 2024 when they didn't let it go. Now that gets to this issue. Uh, Jerry Cross's widow uh, was there on his behalf. Uh, so ultimately, when they booed, they were sort of booing her. Whose bright idea in the Chicago Bulls PR firm office was it to put an image of Jerry Krause up on the screen and then flashed to his widow, knowing, <laughs> knowing what you just said, that there's antipathy toward Krause. For the, and so effectively, they set her up to be booed. Who? What, I mean, did anybody think this through, Ricky? Yeah. Like I said, ill-conceived, poorly executed, this whole thing was. And uh, it's unfortunate because, you know, the immediate reaction is that Bulls fans booed Jerry Krause's widow to tears. And it's true, more or less. But really, what happened was, the way they set this up, they had everyone sitting on the floor in a chair They'd show their picture on the video board. Then they'd show the person uh, sitting in the chair. They would stand up at center court, wave, get a big ovation. So when they showed Krause's photo, the fans do what they always do when they see Krause's photo, and that's boo. And that's why it was so heartbreaking for them to immediately cut to poor old Thelma Krause and uh, an image of her crying. She was having her shoulders rubbed and being comforted by Ron Harper who, of course, Jerry Krause brought in to be the point guard of that team after he had many injury issues with the Cleveland Cavaliers. It looks like Harper's best days were behind him at the time, former all-star level player. Uh, and, you know, Krause sort of identified Harper as still having some gas left in the tank, and he was correct in that because he was the starting point guard on three teams, three title teams. Uh, and so in terms of the, you know, the way this event was executed, that to me was just so sad and kind of unforgivable. And uh, the Bulls should have had someone in the building that said, well, you know, the fans usually <laughs> boo Krause, don't they? Maybe we should just like show Thelma and then maybe they won't boo Thelma. Maybe we should not mention Jerry at all. Maybe we should do anything other than what we did, because what we did ended up being a very large black eye on a night that should have been, you know, nothing but an easy win for the franchise. Uh, and uh, all right. And let me uh, I agree with you 100 and, and uh, to to jump on what you said, piggyback right on what you said, they did not announce Jerry Reinstorf's name. or it, it, They didn't put his image on the board. Uh, so they avoided him having the uh, deal with being booed. Uh, so, uh, all right. Uh, I will now make a point and then feel free to respond any way, which way you want. So when, uh, let's say Jerry Krause was the agent to break up the Bulls. Uh, or the Bulls, or, or let's at very least say he was very eager to rebuild the Bulls uh, after they were showing signs that they were going to fall apart. Uh, even though I, I'm with you on your analysis that it, had Jordan agreed to come back, I think it would have they would have tried it again. Uh, so there's a lot of rewriting of history that's going on about that era. But let's let's go back to breaking up the Bulls right now, Ricky. Right now, if there's one thing that almost every talking head agrees on, 
is that at a certain point, a team should break up and tank. I've heard this a million. I hate breaking up. I hate tanking. I'm one of the few people in America that would rather have a sub-mediocre team to root for than having the Detroit Pistons. Okay? I Or the 1999 Chicago Bulls. I would rather have a team that on any given day might beat the Boston Celtics or the Los Angeles Lakers or the Milwaukee Bucks than have a team that's just going to get trounced and lose 20. I would rather have that. Jerry Krause said, no way. We're breaking this baby up. We're tanking, and we're going to do a rebuild, and I'm going to go for free agents and draft choices. And then he did something radical. He traded his rookie of the year, Elton Brand, for two draft choices. Now, if that was done today, and it was a skinny guy who did it as opposed to an overweight guy, if it was a like Pat Riley-looking guy that did it that all sports writers kind of had a crush on in a kind of weirdo way, they would be like, what a genius. What a brilliant. He's a seer. He sees the future. He's pl- What do they always go? He's playing chess, and the rest of us are playing checkers. Please, sports writers, don't use that analogy ever again, okay? Two different games. <laughs> Writing this down. So, your thoughts. Was Jerry Krause ahead of his time? In terms of tanking, uh, was Jerry Krause ahead of his time? I mean, yeah, obviously he was in a lot of ways, both good and bad. I would say, you know, one thing about Krause is that he really identified physical tools over production. So you could have looked at Pippen coming out of Central Arkansas and being like, well, like, what what level did he play at? D2, NAIA? Like, he wasn't going against the Big Ten. He wasn't going against the ACC. But Jerry Krause didn't care about that. What he saw is Scottie Pippen had a 7'3 wingspan. Scottie Pippen could jump out of the gym. And Scottie Pippen had a very broken jump shot when he was young. But with some practice, you can fix a jump shot. With some practice, you cannot make your arms grow to be 7'3". That's just not going to happen. So I think that was one way where Krause was ahead of his time. In terms of the tanking, I mean, obviously, we could do a, a whole big thing on the uh, the virtues of tanking and sort of the constraints of it. But... Uh, I think that what Jerry Krause wanted was championships. And I think that the way he viewed the best, what he viewed as the best way to get the championship was to get superstars And the best way to get the superstar is usually by having the first pick in the draft. Now, of course it doesn't always work out that way. And I remember that 1999 draft well, because I really wanted a guard out of Maryland named Steve Francis, who ended up being the second pick in that draft and said, I refuse to play for the Vancouver Grizzlies uh, because, you know, he was a kid from Maryland and didn't want to go to Canada. But I think Kraus thought you get, you know, a premium talent, premium young talent at the top of the draft. The other thing with that is they're on a rookie scale contract. They don't cost you very much money on the salary cap for the first four years of their career. And then you have all the cap space you need to go sign Tim Duncan, Grant Hill, Tracy McGrady. But then sometimes you swing and miss on those guys and you end up with Ron Harper and Eddie Robinson and Brad Miller. So I think Kraus, you know, he really went for it. And I appreciate going for it. I appreciate having his sights set on the stars and he fell short of it. And of course, the rebuild he tried was a true disaster in so many different ways. He didn't really get to see it through. I mean, they fired him after a couple of years. Uh, and it was John Paxson who made the decision to trade Eddie Curry because uh, Curry may or may not have had a heart condition that Paxson didn't feel comfortable with uh, with him on the team. So obviously it's a multi-layered, multifaceted issue. 
But Krauss was absolutely ahead of his time in so many ways for both good and bad, I think. Yeah, I think he was way ahead of his time on the Tony Kukoc thing. It was Ron Mercer, not Ron Harper. Ron Mercer was the guy the Bulls picked up. I'll never forget. Oh, did I say Harper? Yeah, Mercer. Yeah, it was, was, yeah. and uh, I'll never forget Michael Jeffrey Jordan when he came back and was playing for the Washington. Were they the Wizards or the Bullets? And I, whatever, the Washington franchise. Literally, Ricky, I'm not making this up, blocked a <laughs> two-handed block of Ron Mercer's shot. It was the ultimate payback. It was incredible. Uh, you you yeah. remember that? Like that? Oh, of course, oh vividly. Two handed, so pinned it against the glass. Yes. Jordan at thirty eight years old. Just incredible stuff. Oh my god! It's just like yeah, it was so painful. Um, yeah, you can't do a rebuild uh, bringing attractive uh, free agents to Chicago if you've effectively run out, run Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player, out of town. Uh, so that was another really dumb thing that you can't alienate Jordan. I don't understand how they did it, why they did it. I believe there's a Jordan jinx, Ricky. That's neither here nor there. We'll save that conversation for another time. But every time the Bulls get anywhere close to being good, someone gets injured since Jordan. Just think about it. Just just you can think about it every time. I love it. Yeah, Derek Rowe. I hate it when it happens. But yes, the theory you love. I understand. All right. Uh, we will close this chapter by discussing the current Bulls. Uh, one of the other real downers of the uh, uh, Ring of Honor uh, ceremonies, how the current Bulls dishonored uh, the, uh, the Bulls. Now, the Bulls uh, historically have a reputation uh, for being great defenders. Those early uh, 70s teams that never won a championship but played their hearts out, Sloan, Van Leer, uh, Love, Walker, that was a great defensive team. Sloan and Van Leer in the backcourt are known for their tenacious defense. Michael Jeffrey Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Horace Grant, three great defenders, all right, the Doberman defense. Uh, and uh, as good offensively they were, they could shut a team down. The current Bulls team, Ricky, on uh, that Friday night uh, dishonor game, were outscored, and I'm doing this from memory, I think it was 48 to 20 in the third quarter. 48 to 20. There were times when Michael Jeffrey Jordan's teams would not allow 48 points in a half. They gave up 48 points uh, in a quarter. What does this say? And then the next day they went out and beat San Antonio. So what can I make of my beloved Chicago Bulls, Ricky? 48 points in a quarter and then go on the road within 24 hours in a back-to-back and win. What, what's going on with this team? Well, you know, sort of like you alluded to a few minutes ago, you know, the Bulls are a team that could beat anyone or could sort of lose to anyone on any given night. They're a team that does not want to tank. They're a team that sets the goal every year we want to make the playoffs. And because of that, they never really have – a premium draft pick to potentially draft the next face of the franchise. Of course, they did have the number four pick in the draft a couple of years ago. They selected a young man out of Florida State named Patrick Williams, who's kind of been a disappointment. I have a soft spot for Pat. I think he's a monster defensive player. He's become a really good defensive power forward who can also hit a wide open three. Not a bad player whatsoever. I think he's a solid starter. He's not a superstar, though. He's kind of just a role player, which is fine. But uh, that's sort of the the state of the current Bulls, is the Bulls have their goal. Their goal is to make the playoffs every year. You could say that's a stupid goal. Their goal should be to win championships. Or you could say, you know, I think that's good because you don't want to be like the Detroit Pistons who started their tanking rebuild five years ago and somehow have only gotten worse and worse over that time. Though as we record this right now, I did see the Pistons somehow won a game today against the Washington Wizards. Uh, so the current state of the Bulls is a team that is is uh, 
is trying to make the playoffs, and they're not a very good team. They're a handful of games under 500 at the moment. Uh, but they have been playing a little bit better lately. Sort of the best thing going on with the Bulls as of late has been a star turn from Kobe White, who, following Zach Levine's injury, really took off with more usage, more touches, more responsibility as the team's lead guard and lead scorer. Kobe, not really a super traditional point guard in terms of running the team and getting players into their proper sets, but he can shoot that thing. And with a couple other players who can attract the attention of opposing defenses in DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, and now Zach Levine, who's back in the lineup, Kobe is taking a lot of threes and he's making a lot of threes. I believe he he's right up towards the top of the leaderboard in total threes made. Also leading the NBA in total minutes last time I checked a couple days ago. So he's been a workhorse for the Bulls. That's been nice to see. It's been uh, a rare developmental win for the Bulls with a young player in the middle of his fifth season in Kobe White, who's finally started to show major signs of improvement. Let's just not talk about his defense, though, because that's a whole other story. Uh, and that's sort of where the Bulls find themselves right now. They are a team that has three sort of highly paid veteran players in DeRozan, Levine, and Vucevic. Levine more or less requested a trade, or the way his agency told it, he's open to being traded, which to me means he requested a trade. He has unfortunately had to eat a slice of humble pie as the entire league has said, you are not worth $45 million a year. We are not going to trade for you if it's any other team in the league. And then, of course, when Levine went out of the lineup, the Bulls started winning. They were 5-14 and 14 when Levine got hurt. Levine came back, and over the stretch of games he missed, they went 10-7. and seven. And Kobe White really improved his play. So uh, the Bulls are a team fighting to be the last team into the playoffs this year. Could they do it? Yeah. And is it more exciting basketball to watch than a team like the Pistons that is tanking and that is essentially playing for lottery balls at the end of the season? Of course it is. I've watched basically every Bulls game this year. I do a podcast about the Bulls called Cash Considerations. And as someone who covers the team, you know, I don't really want to watch them tank either because I watch most of the games and then I talk about them into a microphone after the game. So uh, I would, of course, like to see them set their sights a little higher, though, in terms of uh, how they would go about team building and sort of how they can try to build a team that would be better than the one they currently have. So obviously it's a it's a bit of a thorny situation. There's one truth that has been the same from Norm Van Leer's days to MJ's days to today's era. And that's you need superstars to win at the highest levels. And the Bulls have some good players. They they might have, you know, a few top 60 players in the league, but they don't have that dude who's going to put the team on his back and lead him to a championship the way Nikola Jokic did for the Denver Nuggets, Steph Curry did for the Golden State Warriors, and Giannis Ndedekumpo did for the Milwaukee Bucks in recent years. So and let me point out where they're at. Let me just point out uh, uh, you're picking up on what you last said. This is why tanking is ridiculous. Uh, you just named three superstars. Those are three superstars that any team would tank to get. And guess what? Nobody tanked to get any of those threes. Uh, Jokic was a second round pick. Giannis, I believe, look it up, was a 15th, I mean, a 15th pick. Uh, and who was the third one you mentioned? Uh, that Steph Curry, who went seventh. Steph Curry was like an eighth pick draft. or seventh pick. Yeah. Nobody knew Steph Curry was going to reinvent the game of basketball. Okay. The year the Bulls took Patrick Williams, where they, all the fans, by the way, Bulls G GM, do not listen to the fans. Okay. Just word of warning. Uh, all the fans go tank, tank, tank. That year, the guys, the best two players in the draft, in my humble opinion, 
I, I would say the number one guy in that draft was Anthony Edwards, who was the number one pick. Uh, so I would say that Anthony Edwards was, would be worth tanking for. The number two and three guys, you didn't have to tank to get them. Number two would be the 12th man pick, Tyrese Halliburton. And uh, number three in that draft, you didn't have to tank to get him either. Tyrese Maxey, 21st pick. And there 20 teams passed on Tyrese Maxey. Now, oh, my God, he's you ask any baseball, basketball fan, oh, he's unbelievable. So, oh, yeah, you weren't saying that three years ago. Do you follow what I'm saying, Ricky? Tanking is like a loser's game. All right, enough on the Bulls. We're going to close with Bear Talk. And uh, I got this sent to me when uh, my dear friend Louise, I told him you were going to be on the show. Uh, he's a big fan of yours, uh, but he really disagrees with something you tweeted out. He jokingly said, I should disinvite you as a guest on today's show after you tweeted this out. This has nothing to do with the Bulls. So we'll close with this. You will get to defend yourself. Louise completely disagrees with you. All right, here he goes. This is a, a tweet you sent out. I don't know when you sent it out. It could have been today. Bears have two viable options with the number one pick. One, draft Caleb Williams. Two, trade down to two and draft Drake May. I love Justin Fields forever, but that week 18 Packers game put me out. Williams may have a better chance to be an elite QB, and that's what you need, Ricky O'Donnell. All right, Luis says you're crazy. Justin Fields is awesome. The Bears have the worst offensive coach in the league that that coach would have rendered Caleb Williams uh, worthless uh, just as he did to Justin Fields. Your response to Moise. Yeah, I think it's definitely uh, it's a valid argument for sure. And up until a few weeks ago, I was absolutely on the Fields bandwagon. I have such a strong personal affinity for Justin Fields. I was a big supporter when he was drafted. I absolutely think the Bears gave him a raw deal. And it's too bad. But he did get 38 starts, I believe, as the quarterback of the Bears. That's a pretty decent sample size to evaluate him on. And this past season, if you look at, you know, the real fancy advanced numbers that do the best job of capturing impact, Fields is about the 20th best QB in a league with 32 teams. Uh, So when you get a true gift of the number one overall pick that you did not earn yourself, I think, you know, you got to you got to aim a little higher than that. And I it's my opinion now that. The Bears should uh, draft a quarterback this year. I wish they were doing it with a new head coach. I got some anti-Matt Eberflus tweets over the last couple of weeks that you can find, too, on my Twitter. I was disgusted the Bears decided to keep him. It would have made so much sense to align a new coach, a new QB, and let them get to work together. But the Bears don't do that. They held on to John Fox one year too long, drafted Mitch Trubisky. They held on to Matt Nagy one year too long, drafted Justin Fields. And now they are holding on to Matt Eberflus one year too long despite the improvement the defense did show. But still, I mean, the guy's not the defensive coordinator. He's a head coach. We can't just absolve him of the offense's sins. So to me, you got to you gotta shoot for the stars, man. And uh, Caleb Williams seems like a very viable, you know, legitimate number one pick. That doesn't mean he's a lock to be good. But I think, you know, he's a worthy talent to be number one overall. I think the same thing in Drake May, actually who's a, a UNC quarterback wearing number 10, which unfortunately will give some fans some heart palpitations as it may remind them of Mitch Trubisky. But, you know, you can't scout off the helmet. In that case, you wouldn't draft C.J. Stroud because he's another Ohio State quarterback who would be who would struggle just as much as Cardale Jones and J.T. Barrett and Justin Fields. So I love Fields. I think he's a good QB for sure. 
He's the best QB the Bears have ever drafted in my lifetime and probably the second best QB the Bears have ever drafted in your lifetime behind McMahon. Uh, But he's not an elite QB. And even if he really hit his potential, I kind of see him being like maybe the 10th best QB, the 12th best QB. Maybe you could win with that with a stack team around him. But especially with, you know, his contract coming up, and I think that, you know, he's just, he hasn't really overcome his weaknesses as a QB. You know, his pre-draft weakness was sort of sensing pressure. I would say still not very good. You could blame the offensive line, but to me, QB sacks is, is sacks is sort of a quarterback stat. Fields doesn't get rid of the ball quick enough. He can make some spectacular plays, but kind of got to limit the playbook with him. Uh, he's just, he can't make every throw to me. So I don't know. I love Fields. I'm so fond of him, but I think it's it's a tough pill to swallow. I think it's in the best interest of the Bears to draft a QB and hope they're a star. And honestly, it's not that high of a bar to be better than Fields because this past year, you know, he still probably wasn't in the top half of QBs. Yeah. I just know, man. That's just I, was my watching, two cents. I was watching that Michigan championship game, uh, uh, college team, and I was watching media, McCarthy, who is, I mean, he's just an average quarterback, uh, Big Ten quarterback, like the kind of guy that Northwestern has every year. And uh, I'm like, I- I've never seen like the sophistication of the the routes they were running and the plays they were calling and how they happen in like instantaneous time. I'm like, what if a college team can run plays like this? Why can't the Bears? Do you follow? If I don't know if you saw the Packers uh, game yesterday against oh my uh, god Cowboys, the, the Cowboys offense was just like the Bears. It was the worst, most predictable, uncreative offense in the world and oh boy the the guy who used to play receiver for the bears is doing the the color commentary he was like oh my god this packers defense is so incredible he go no stop it defense isn't that good this offense anyway i just can't uh, i can't believe the packers did it again ben with jordan love he's just too good it's pushed me over the edge i was in denial about it but the guy's a baller so So you gotta tip your cap but wait wait time out ricky just, I got to take this like a man. Yeah. So I lived through Brett Favre in the 90s and in the O's. Then I had to deal with Aaron Rodgers, who's one of the most noxious human beings ever. And now you're telling me it's going to be another 10 years of humiliation by a great Green Bay Packer quarterback? Dude, I thought Jordan Love sucked. I was very confident in my take on that. I'm like, this guy is not going to be good. He wasn't a good college prospect. He sat on the bench for three years. But he has closed the year so strong that at this point, I got an egg on my face. I was wrong about that. Jordan Love looks phenomenal. And, you know, I hope it's not another 15 years of uh, Jordan Love torturing the Bears. But <laughs> you can usually sad. learn a thing or two from history. And history would tell us this is how it goes. So, God, I'm so depressed. I'm going to start day drinking. All right. Uh, I, I cannot day drink because tonight is uh, bowling night. And I got to get ready for bowling. Uh, so, Ricky O'Donnell, it's been a blast talking sports with you. Thank you very much. Uh, why don't you do close with a little promotion? If people want to follow you, if they uh, want to start reading your articles, what do they have to do? Go ahead. Yeah. Go to SBNation.com, national sports coverage. I'm kind of the managing editor over there. So, I'll write basketball stories covering men's and women's college and pro basketball. And then I manage some football writers. They're putting out lots of great NFL college football coverage all the time. We'll be covering the playoffs, the draft. I'm sure plenty of discussion on the bears from a national perspective there. So you can check out SPNation.com and on Twitter or whatever it's called. Now I'm at SBN underscore Ricky. 
Very good. That's Ricky O'Donnell. Thank you very much, Ricky. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. 